You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. John chapter 6 is amazing. I'm, we're going to take a couple of more weeks to look at it. And I think I shared last time that this feeding of the 5,000 is a one miracle other than the resurrection of Jesus that all four gospel writers talk about. But John is kind of almost an armchair philosopher. And uh, so he really spends a lot of time unpacking for us the meaning behind why Jesus fed the 5,000. Like there's revealing to us some significant things about exactly who Jesus is and and what it means for our life. And I want to share with you this part of chapter 6. John is really trying to help us to understand, and Jesus is really trying to help the people to get. Like there's a right way and a wrong way to seek Jesus. So many things of life don't matter so much. Like there's multiple ways to get here. There's several ways that I can go to get from my home from here. Like there's not a right way or a wrong way. It depends what's going on. If I want cheap gas, I go down Carmen Road. If I want a little bit faster and scenic route and the weather's good, I go this way. And if the weather's bad, I go that way, right? You know, it just, it's all, it all depends on whatever. But there are some things in life where there's definitely a right way and a wrong way to do it. I learned that again last uh, weekend. I was had to rebuild the stairs going to my basement. They're literally probably 100 years old. When your repair guy breaks through, you know, it's like, okay, it's really time to fix these. And I'd kind of put it off and put it off. And so I built the stairs, and I'm thinking, I'm going to be, I'm really going to do this right. I'm going to put a light at the top of the stairs. Where? There's a, there's a novel idea. Not only will the stairs not break, but you can actually see where you're stepping, you know, as you go down. And the, you get the idea. It's just one light switch, you know, right as you, you open the basement door, you turn the light switch on, and I thought, I'm going to put a light just right above it. I mean, this much. I even had the wire already. I don't know why I saved such a short piece of wire. I guess I'm cheap or whatever, but I'm like, oh, you have to go out and buy wire. Easy peasy, just wire it in, everything's good. So I wired it in, turned, threw the breaker on, the light switch was off, and when the, when the breaker, I turned the breaker on, the light lit up. I'm like, that's weird, the light's off. That light went on, and another light downstairs went on. Like, I had four lights that were connected to the same light switch. You know, the basement was lit up, but the stairs weren't. And the other lights in the basement, like, ghosted at, like, 50%. I'm like, that ain't right. And I turned the light switch on, and that light went off, and the other one went off, and all the other ones went on full power. And I thought, what in the world? I obviously don't understand electricity. I must have wired this backwards or something. I mean, it's not hard to do. It's just, I mean, it's just like two little wires. I just like go from the light into the light switch. So I threw the breaker off and I just flipped the wires. I clearly don't understand electricity. So you just do not want me ever touching anything that in your house. And I flipped the wires. Maybe I did something backwards. Turned everything on. Strike two. And I thought, and this was one of those things I'm like, oh, this is great. I can be done. 45 minutes, be done with it Saturday. I thought, okay, it's close to dinner, but I'll do it. So I, I thought, all right, I'll put a junction box. I'll, you know, take the wire before it goes to the light switch, put a junction box in there, and then I'll go up from there, from the power to the light, and then down from the light into it. I'm like, that'll solve it. Did that, did all the work, messing with the wires and everything. Still didn't work. I'm like, ah, what in the world is going on? And then finally, I called Dennis. He was an electrician. I'm like, Dennis, what in the world? And so I just said, all right, forget all of the light switch. I just tacked on a whole light at the end of the run and ran it like 20 feet back and all of that. And congratulations, it worked, thankfully. There was a right way 
and a clearly multiple wrong ways to do this. Very much, there is a right way and a wrong way to seek Jesus. There's a right way and a wrong way. Read with me in John 6. The Bible says this in verse 24. So when the Lord had, uh, when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. After Jesus fed the 5,000, the Bible tells us that his disciples launched out across the Sea of the Galilee in a boat. Jesus wasn't there. He'd kind of gotten away from the people. Jesus regularly got away from the crowds to kind of recalibrate, rehear from, from his father and spend time. And he goes, he walks out to them in the middle of the storm, that whole story. And uh, John just really doesn't tell us a whole lot about it. He's just really, I think, setting up the stage in the verses 15 and following just of why now we're all of a sudden on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so the crowds get up the next morning. Jesus is gone, and they knew he didn't go in a boat. And they get to the other side, and they're like, how did you get over here? What's going on? That's the part of the story we're picking up. So they were looking for Jesus. Remember, at the end of the feeding of the 5,000, they knew that Jesus had fed them all. They knew that Jesus had done a miracle, and they were ready to make him king. They were ready to set him up and to make him their king. And so they go when they find Jesus. In verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, he, did, he didn't really answer the question. That can be probably infuriating us as people, but how often do we ask Jesus, our Lord, questions? And he's like, yeah, you don't need to answer that. But I will answer you this one over here. Don't be bothered when that happens. He just doesn't think it's important. And we should say, okay. And so Jesus in verse 26 answered him. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus said, it doesn't matter how I got here. Who cares? Your idle curiosity is not helpful. There's actually something bigger going on that I need to deal with. You're not here because you really want to know me. You're not really here because you're trying to seek me. You just had a good meal last night, and you're hoping that I'll do it again and that somehow you'll get more stuff out of me. You just really want what I can give. You really aren't interested and me, and knowing me, and serving me, and becoming my follower. First thing, the right way to seek Jesus is to seek Jesus for the right reason. For the right reason. As simple as that is, there are multiple reasons to look for Jesus. There's multiple reasons to look for God, to go to God and ask Him and to pray. And Jesus says, He's telling us that we really should seek Him for His own sake. My grandmother, when I was a teenager, lived in California. I think I only remember going to her house once my, uh, my entire life. We lived East Coast, Connecticut, you know, kind of thing, east of the Mississippi my entire life. And so uh, that was a long trip, you know. And so I didn't know her very well. She'd come out east maybe once, I think, as well, by that time I was a teenager. And so anyway, long story short, not a close relationship at all. But she always wanted me. She was, her first car was like a Model T or Model A, all right? So, I mean, she lived for forever. And um, like till she was 100. I think she was born in like 19 you know, 18 or 20 or something like that. And so she would always tell me, like, write to me. I want to be 
I'd like to be written to. Well, my wife would tell you when we were dating, I never talked on the phone. I'm not really a phone talker, and I was definitely, as a teenager, not a writer. Like, what in the world do you say? Hi, Grandma. You know, how's the weather? I mean, I just didn't have anything to talk about. And she wanted me every Christmas to write her and to tell her all the stuff I wanted for Christmas. She wanted to love me that way. And I felt so, whenever I would try to do that, like I was just using this woman to get stuff out of her, and it never felt right to me. You know what I mean? Like, this is my grandmother. I should just love her. And now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, I get it. She was trying to figure out a way to show love to me, but I was a teenager, didn't get it. And I kind of understand the story. But at that time, I didn't. it didn't feel right. You see, you really can go to Jesus and just go to Him for the stuff to fix your life, to, you know, make your life better, to fulfill whatever need or whatever desire or whatever challenge is going on. And we talk a lot about how Jesus changes our life and how He works in our life. But make no mistake about it. What He wants from us is for us to seek Him for who He is, that He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He wants us not to, not to go to Him so we can you know, kind of take care of, of our finances or to make us happy or whatever or somehow fulfill you know, our desires in this world. But He wants us to go to Him for salvation. He wants us to go to Him for, him to have a, for us to have a relationship with Him, for Him to be in our life, for Him to, to remove the sin debt that we've all accrued because of our, 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 our sins, the things that we've done wrong, and to cancel that. He, he wants to establish that relationship. So when you, when you and I are in this world, the first step when we are trying to seek Jesus and to begin to really figure this stuff out and to really have Him in our life, we need to make sure that we're seeking Him for who He is and not just simply what He can do you know, around us in our life. That's step number one. Second thing, not only should we seek Jesus for the right reason, but we should also do the right work. Now, the Lord Jesus is trying to help them to understand this. He's a very patient teacher. They're coming at him for all the wrong reasons, and he poked at them, not to be mean or to be a jerk, but he's trying to help them to get their reason right. And so he says in verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes. You came here after a new happy meal this morning, a new dinner. Don't work for that food that's going to pass away, that's going to come to an end, that perishes. But work for the food that endures to eternal life. You should be coming to me for salvation. You should be coming to me for something much bigger. The food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Work for that. I want to give that to you. That's what I want to give to you. That's what you should be focusing on. For on Him, on Jesus... God the Father has set His seal. God the Father said, "This You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I am the official representative of God the Father in heaven. You should be pursuing me. Because when you pursue me for the right reasons, you get eternal life in the food that nourishes your soul. Remember the woman at the well? Jesus said to the woman at the well, Hey, if you really knew who was talking to you, you'd ask Him to give you living water. And she was still stuck, like, hey, I want some of that water, so I don't have to come to the well anymore. Jesus is switching the picture. He's now talking about that spiritual food, that living, eternal bread, if you will. 
And he tells us to work the right work. In verse 28, he says this. Then they said, or, or John says this. Then they said to him, what must we do being to be doing the works of God? Okay, what should we do? Jesus answered them in verse 29. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Jesus said, guys, not only should you seek me for the right reason, you should also do the right work. You see, Jesus said, guys, you should put your effort and energy into one thing. They asked the right question, what is that work? Notice Jesus didn't say, go pray some more. Go to synagogue or temple more. Go get baptized. He, he could have said all kinds of things. He didn't say, go be good people. Go follow the law. Instead, he said, there's one thing you should do, and that's believe on me. That's it. He gave them a very simple work. It wasn't complicated. It wasn't, wouldn't take a very long time to step into that world. He said, Simply believe on me. Now, they're fixated on the work side of it. And Jesus said, do the right work because I want to give you something. They're in the world and their thinking is, is that for them to have a relationship with God and to be good people and to be you know, good, faithful Christians, if you will, that they had to do and to work and perform. And it was all about what they had to do. And when Jesus is trying to help them, like, guys, this is not about what you have to do. This is about what I want to give. In fact, all you got to do is simply receive me, believe in me, put your full trust in me. Keep in mind, Jesus is talking to people who are looking for the Messiah. They were expecting God to send the Savior, to send one that they should follow. So they were looking as a group of people to believe in him. They, in that way, already believed in Him. They had grown up believing in that. Mom and Dad had taught their kids about the Messiah that would come. And so they believed Him in that way. But what Jesus was saying is, that, yeah, but you really don't believe in me because you're just after a free handout. You're just after me to do something cool. And what you really need to do is to surrender your life to me. You see, whenever a gift is given... It's really all about the giver more than the receiver, right? It's about, it's about the giver. The receiver just says thank you and receives. The giver is the one who comes up with the idea. The giver is the one who does all the heavy lifting. They're the ones that goes out and purchases it, orders it on Amazon or whatever it comes from, or go to the store. They're the ones that deliver it. They're the ones that ensures all of that, and the size is right, and it's going to fit, and all of that. That's, the giver does all of the work. The receiver just accepts it and receives it. And so often in the Christian world, so often in the religious world, we put the focus on the receiver, that we have to do all of this stuff so that we earn that. And when you earn it, it's no longer a gift. But what Jesus offers us, this gift of eternal life, this spiritual food that he's trying to unpack, he fed them a meal, 
But what he was trying to tell them, and I'll show you this a little more clear in a minute, but what he's trying to say is, I am that eternal meal. You need to partake of me. You need what I can only give you because I'm the one doing all the heavy lifting. I'm the one doing all the work. But you've got to believe. You must believe. We as people are so bent to want to do, and, and we really want to put it somehow that, that we make it happen. There's multiple reasons why. That's part of our sin nature. The enemy confuses us and makes it difficult to know how to do it. But at the end of the day, we want control. We want to we live our life so that if we do certain things, we get certain outcomes. By the way, that's sometimes why we get jaded with God and get angry and frustrated with God. Like, God, my life should be better because I've done all of this and I thought it was going to be different. God's like, yeah, I didn't promise that for you. We just receive... He's the one that gives. So for us to seek God, seek Jesus right, to throw the switch and the lights go on when it's supposed to, we should seek Him for the right reason, and we should do the right work. And that work simply is to believe, to believe in Him as our Savior and our Lord, to put ourselves below and to surrender our life to Him, turning away from our sin and making our life about Him. That's what it means to become a follower of Jesus. And that's what God, that's all that God expects for us as we continue to follow Him. Sometimes as Christians, we, we kind of revert back to old habits. You know, we make that commitment and surrender to Christ, and it's genuine. And we now, all of a sudden, our sin is removed, our relationship with God but that we revert back. And God still wants us to seek Him for who He is, not for all just the stuff. And He wants us to genuinely just to trust Him in life. In fact, so much of our life, the things that go on, is God wanting us to continue to deepen even more that we just trust Him, that He's our Lord, and we follow Him. He doesn't follow us, we follow Him. Third thing that you need to notice is that we also need to ask for the right bread. <laughs> the Kind of the audacity. So what works, Jesus, are you going to do to prove to us that we should believe in you? Like, that's kind of bold. He just did 5,000 miracles plus, right? <laughs> Feeding all of those people. And they're like, yeah, how are you going to prove to us that we should really believe in you? I, Jesus had far more patience than I did. I would be like, what in the world? Like, if that was my kids, I'd be like, are you crazy? What, what is wrong with you? He doesn't do that. And he, our fathers in verse 31, they said, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, hey, Moses gave us the best deal. Moses brought the goods. He brought free food for 40 years. It would just land, and all we'd have to do is go collect it. Didn't have to plant anything in the ground. Didn't have to farm it. Didn't have to work for it. Miraculously, He took care of us. Can you match that, Jesus? That's what we're looking for. You do that, and we'll follow you. Be careful that you don't put false tests on God in order to believe Him, in order to obey Him. God, I'll obey you if... God, I'll believe you if we have a way 
of somehow making God the blame the reason for our irresponsibility. You ever met people like that? Like, no matter what you do, it's always your fault. <laughs> you know? It's human nature. It's sinful human nature. Because we don't want to take responsibility. And they're putting on Jesus. Like, yeah, Jesus will believe, but you really hadn't shown us enough to believe. This is, what are you doing? Look what Jesus says to him. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. Yeah, you're a little mistaken in your history there, guys. Moses didn't give that to you. But my Father gives to you the true bread from heaven. God gave you that bread. Moses was nobody. God gave it to you. And by the way, he's not the real bread. He's not, that wasn't the true bread. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. I'm the true bread and gives life to the world. Not physical life, spiritual life. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always, just like the woman of the well. Hey, that sounds like a good deal. Would you give us this bread always so we don't have to go to work? They're picturing they can have like holiday every day. They don't have to go to work. Everything's good. They want a nice middle-class lifestyle. They just maybe even easier than that. You know, wow, think about all that we could do. More time for fishing, more time for golf, more time for, for painting or whatever, you know. Just give us that. That's good, Jesus. Yeah, we, we're down with that. Jesus said to him, verse 35, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see, Jesus wants to do something inside of us spiritually. And he'll take care of us. Make, make no mistake about it. We pray and God has a way of, of providing and working in our lives that are unbelievable. Absolutely, that's true. But when you start there and that's your focus, there's something wrong. The wiring is backwards and it doesn't work. It's on when it should be off and it's off when it should be on. And Jesus said, you should be looking for me to have the, satisfi the, the satisfaction in your soul, that there's a deep longing in your soul that regular food can't meet. And there's a hunger in your life for something that's meaningful, that's lasting, that's healing that overcomes the, the junk and all of that. That's what you need to be focusing in on. When you step back and realize like something is just not right in my life, you should come to me for that and looking for me to help you. And when you do that, you're never going to be hungry spiritually and you're never going to thirst. And Jesus said, but I said to you that you've seen me and yet do not believe they asked for a sign. Jesus said, here it is. I'm here. I'm here. I've already given you that bread that you've asked for, for spiritual hunger. See, you and I have to ask for the right bread in our life. We have to look for Him to save us from our sin, to meet those needs deep in our soul. He wants to repair our soul and to restore us in that relationship with Him. Because when that relationship has been broken, it's so deadly. We, we know so many struggles emotionally and intellectually and socially are happening in people's lives because of the the break from mom and dad or very early, you know, even as a baby or later on and all kinds of studies and things have been done and uh, with that. And, 
And even as adults, when, when there's damage in those relationships, they mess us up. And Jesus is saying, I want to restore you and give you that relationship because you're hurting and broken. And I want to change that in your life. That's the bread that I want to bring to you. That's the bread that we should seek. And as we step into that world and we trust in Him and receive Him and He feeds our soul and He changes us, that for the rest of our life should be our priority. Now, folks, I wish I could tell you that that's always been my priority in life, but it's not. It's not. And I know it hasn't been yours either. Not because I know what's going on in you. I just, I know us as people. I can easily, well, God, I, I need this and I want this and I want this to work out. And, and Jesus is just like, yeah, you're treating me the way you didn't want to treat your grandmother. You just want the stuff. Like, I want you to engage with me. I want to work inside of you. I'll take care of all of that stuff. In fact, I've told you time and time again I'll take care of all that stuff. But you got to put me first. We're like the church. Wasn't it the church of Ephesus there in early Revelation that Jesus says, hey, I see everything. You believe right. You, you, you're held to truth, all of that. But you've got one thing. Yeah, you've forgotten your first love. Come back. Repent. Just be with me and love me. Don't make it about all the other stuff. I'll take care of that, but come back to me. That's at the center. Church, that's what Jesus is reminding us this morning, reminding us that we should seek that true bread, that He is the one that we need in our life, to seek Him continuously. Last thing and I'm done. To seek Jesus right, not only do we need to seek Him for the right reason, not only do we need to do the right work, which is believing and surrendering our life to Him, and asking for the right bread, that He's the one for the rest of our life that we pursue, but we need to find rest in the right security. Boy, Jesus really changes, and He adds even more to this, guys. This is the meaning behind what Jesus was trying to convey by doing the, the feeding of the 5,000. He did a physical miracle, trying to teach them about a spiritual miracle in their, in their soul that He wanted to do. It was almost like a parable in action, if you will. And all the Father... In verse 37, he says this, All the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He says, you guys have seen me, but you're not coming to me, really. And you're really not believing me. He says, by the way, everybody that the Father gives to me, they're going to come to me. And I will never throw them off, throw them out. He says, for I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. He's talking about us. He says, guys, there's security that every single person that the Father gives to me, they're coming to me, and they're secure. I'll never throw them off. I'll never cast them out. I'll never drop them. I'll never lose them. And in fact, instead, I'm going to raise them up in the end. And even though they may die physically in this life, that their life and future is secure with me. He says in verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Just like John 3 that Jesus says, guys, 
just everyone who looks to me, not just sees me, but really puts their trust and focus on me, I give them everlasting life. I give them salvation and life with me now, a new life, and I will raise them up in the very end. There's something amazing here that Jesus, in the middle of this, He's telling us we're to come to Him, we're to believe in Him, we're to look to Him. But He says, oh, by the way, the Father's done something. He's already given me those people. Because every one of those that He's given to me, they're going to come to me. And they're going to receive me. There is such a thing here that our brains throw a circuit breaker. And people and scholars have debated all of this. And we will continue to debate this till Jesus comes. But the Bible's telling us that nobody really comes to Jesus unless the Father's given them. But at the same time, we're commanded to do this. And our brains can't figure it out. I want you to look at, a, at the picture on the screen, if you guys can throw that up there. Kind of a fun little picture, huh? At first, you're just like, what in the world? Our eyes don't make sense of that. Our brain says, oh, I know what's going on. They just, somebody took a cool picture with a bottle really close, and the guy stood back, and, you know, the... But our eyes still don't see that. Our brain has to logically say, here's the way that works. Here's the way that, that theology works. The part where we come to Jesus and believe, that's the bottle that's up close to us. Because that's what we see. And that's what we do. But behind that is something much bigger. Just like that guy is much bigger than that water bottle. And that that is God has done something eternally to bring us to salvation and to Him, that He's the first mover in that. And I can't explain all of those things well. I can this a little bit, like there's a perspective and you know all of that and distance and those kinds of things. But when we're talking about God, it's so much bigger than that. And Jesus is peeling the curtain back and saying, yeah, there's an even bigger thing with people's salvation, that God the Father, the reason some of you aren't coming to me yeah, you're not given to me. And when you really come to me, there's a security. Because remember, it's all about the giver. The giver does all the heavy lifting. That we're secure in him. He does all the heavy lifting. Now, Sean, well, does that mean if people don't trust Jesus that it's all God's fault? Is God the bad guy? Not at all. It's actually our responsibility. Let me close with this. I just was reading this morning my devotion in Second. Thessalonians. It won't be on the screen, and you can jot it down if you want to. But uh, but Second Thessalonians chapter two verse ten, talking about the enemy and Satan and the end and all of that will come with tremendous signs and wonders, and it says, and he'll come with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. In other words, people who don't have eternal life, people that are not saved, people that have not come to Jesus, he will produce a tremendous wicked deception. Now listen to this for those who are perishing, and I'm reading because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. That verse plainly says, if people don't come to Jesus, it's not God's fault. It's because they refused to love and to come to that truth. Well, Sean, how do you make sense of that with them being given to God? Like, I can't any more than I can make sense of what my eyes say. How can a guy be bigger than a water bottle? My brain understands it. My eyes don't. 
We're, take, we're talking a picture of God and two truths here that seem so odd to us. But for us, where we live, what Jesus is trying to tell us is that yes, we all have a responsibility to come to Him, that we can't place any blame ever on God and Jesus, that it's our job to surrender and believe and to seek and to come to Him. And when we do come to Him, what He's actually trying to do is to give us an incredible rest and security so that we don't wake up the next day and say, well, I hope I've come enough. I hope I've loved Jesus enough. I hope I'm believing enough. I hope I'm doing to where all of a sudden, just like our whole life is just trying to earn God's love. Jesus is just saying, look, come to me. When you come to me, rest. I've saved you. My, fa you, my Father has given you me. I got you. You're secure. Like there's nothing that can mess this thing up because it's not about you. It's about what my Father's done and what I've done. It's all about our work, not your work. He's trying to tell us there's an incredible security. So often you and I make the mistake of putting the security on us, and that goes one of two ways. When we think that it's on us, there's a pride. We become self-reliant, and that's dangerous. Or when things aren't going so well, like, God, you let me down. And we feel insecure in all of this. But it's never good. It goes one of two ways. And what Jesus is saying, guys... I've always got you. Always. Even when you're dealing and battling with sin and you're having kind of a, you're kind of being obnoxious and a jerk today, or you're kind of ghosting me today and you shouldn't be, I still got you. And you're still my child and you're still mine. There's such security in that in your own life and there's such security in that in our loved ones. And, and our family and all of that, and Jesus is trying to help us to rest, that once we come to Him, we are completely secure. I can't think of a better picture for us to reflect on in just a moment as we celebrate our Lord's table together, the Lord's Supper. And He wants us to know as we reflect on this, that it's a, it's a picture of our belief and our have come to Jesus and that we're secure in Him. That's what He wants us to celebrate. That's why He gave this to us to, to do regularly, to just constantly be remembered. It's almost like Him telling us personally, I love you all over again, and reminding us how He's loved us. They loved us by sending His own Son Jesus to die for us, and that we're secure in Him. That's the point of what He's telling us with the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to pray. And after that, you can go ahead and take your little cup and, and get, those, um, get those ready. And I'm going to read another passage to you, and we'll celebrate the Lord's table. Pray with me, would you? Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus. That he loved us so much to explain things, to really challenge our hearts, to make sure that we are seeking you, seeking him in the right way, for the right reason, seeking the true bread that we need, Lord, we all have looked for other things in our life, and we've all thought, oh, my life will be so much better if this, and it'll all work out if I can just do that, and oh, I need this. And Father, it's a reminder. What we really need is, is Jesus, even after we're saved, that He's enough. So Lord, help us to pursue You. Forgive us when we don't. And thank You even when we struggle with that, that You still have told us that we are 100% guaranteed to never fail secure with our Lord Jesus. Thank you for that, Father. 
If it was if our salvation was dependent on us, we could never claim that. But Lord, it's not. It's dependent on what you have done as the giver. And so, Lord, we celebrate that this morning with the taking of the Lord's Supper, a reminder that Jesus gave his life on the cross in his blood, and that's what frees us from sin. Father, it's in Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. 